This is Red Clay, and this is the Yay. <laughs> All right, with Norm G. And we have a special guest, Craig Souza. Yay. How's it going, man? It's going well. We're talking about life in the theater and the theater of life. Woo-hoo. volume down a little bit. So what's going on, Norm? How's, how's, your, how's your week? It's, it's better this, than Kathy Griffin, be right? You're, you're still hired, right? You haven't been fired, right? I have not been fired. I keep being offered more work. So <laughs> life, is, life is good in comparison. Yeah. I keep wanting summer to start. I'm ready to start my summer. I finished, let's see, I finished, I think that when we talked last time, mm-hmm. I finished, oh, no, yeah, that was the day, that was the day of, um, that I'd done each one, each one, each one, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do a playwriting uh, course that's normally in juvenile detention facilities. This time we were outside. Okay. And normally we do 10 days, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday we bring in a group of local actors and we put on its feet the stuff that the young writers have written. This time we were outside, which means, among other things, they didn't want to ask anybody to come back on Saturday. So we had to wrap it all up on Friday. So, yeah, got that done. Mm -hmm. Um, There was the uh, playground, which I think I got an email saying that this weekend is the final weekend. And this is the place where it's at the former Thick House. I don't know the new name of it now. Potrero Stage. Potrero Stage. They're calling it the Potrero Stage. Okay. Um, The... Playground most of the year, most of the theater season mm-hmm. is housed at Berkeley Rep the third Monday of the month, and they do short plays. Have you had you've acted at the Potrero? I know we did four monologues, monologues three hotels, a yeah, long, long time yeah, ago. Yeah, that was fun, and I just saw an amazing show there, autobiography of a terrorist. Is that oh right? yes, yes, yes. Oh yes, yes. man, did you see that? I didn't. I know some of the people that were in the cast. It was so. really good. Yeah, it's probably one of the better shows I've seen in a That's while. That's a Golden Thread. Uh, yeah, Golden yeah, Thread did Golden it. Thread, I love Golden Thread Theater. Awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. So, yeah, uh, the folks that are managing it now are Playground. And so they do their normal season at Berkeley Rep, and then they do all the other things like the best of Playground, which includes the best short plays from the year, um, and then a few plays that have gotten commissioned to be extended into full-length plays. And then there were actually – there was a – Kano and Abe, and I think that may be going this weekend, a play that they've, like, fully produced, and that's happening. So, so do they have, like, a resident, like, workshop of playwrights, or how does that work? Because uh, EastEnders used to do that. Yeah, that's right. Playwrights um, apply to be in the pool each season, and then if you're in the pool, each month there's a different theme, and I guess you submit something if you got something, and then they call through that, and the best six go up that month. Okay. And then at the end of the night, they ask their audience for what was the best of the evening. All the ones that get voted best of the evening get thrown in the mix at the end of the season. And and I was on the review panel for that, and I got to read You know, it. Jerome Gentis, I think, submitted something. Does that name pop up? Did, did, was that some one of the things? G-E-N-T? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Because he, he was the producer of the musical cafe that I did, but he told me that he submitted a play. He, did he do the Hillary one? There was this wacky one where Hillary <laughs> fell asleep. Uh, oh, gosh, where was she at? She was Oh, she thought she was someplace with Malia. Malia was sitting next to her. Oh, Malia Obama. <laughs> yeah, Obama. <laughs> okay. And uh, she fell asleep, and she woke up knowing that there was a black woman next to her, and she had gone back in history. And it was a history where there was Thomasina Jefferson – you know, all the uh, all the political leaders were female. Oh, alternate! It's like an alternate universe thing done in hip hop. 
So oh. it was a hip hop musical. Okay. I like that. A no. Hamilton. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that's his kind of thing, but yeah. there, that was one of the finalists. That's interesting, but that um, no, I think when I talked to Jerome, he it was about the Higgs boson. It was about the universe and all that stuff. Mm. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Did, did that did that ring a bell? It rings a bell because I like it. There were eighteen okay. plays to be read. Wow. So the ones from the season, uh, maybe I guess second runners must have been in there too. There were eighteen that we had to read, mm-hmm. and. I said yes, and it was May is an insanely busy time. I'm glad we're in June. June is slowing down. What did I have this week? Three jobs, four jobs. That's all I had this awesome. week. Awesome. That's what. That's what's know, up. And I, I mean, like, you know, one hour, four times <laughs> mm-hmm. this week. That's that's all I had. Yeah. <laughs> and I brought in Craig Souza because uh, I know Craig uh, from uh, formerly EastEnders, but also mm-hmm. you just finished uh, directing. Uh, you did Charlie's Aunt 66. You directed yes. that, right? Yes, and that was yeah, that was a new play by Scott Munson. That's right, that's right. And I think Scott, he, uh, he, I, I talked to Scott. I think he wants to be a guest uh, next week for VA. So oh, cool. That'd be cool. He is my favorite living American playwright. Oh, he he is fantastic. <laughs> so um, so that's why we have Craig Souza here, and uh, he's you're a director, you're an actor. Uh, what else uh, do you? You do? I, I'm a director. I'm an actor. I work. I'm one of the techies who's destroying San Francisco <laughs> by yeah. day. Oh, <laughs> all, the, all the day tech. You're well, one I, of those people. You don't work for Uber, so I'm sure. I don't. <laughs> I don't work for. I don't work for a douchey. Yeah. No, you're good. Te- there, there's good techies. They're bad techies. So right. you know, that's right. it's all. It's all good. Yeah. But I'm glad that we mentioned like the musical cafe and the play and the play play cafe, and it sounds like it's a new business model where. Theater companies are like, hey, let's bring in new playwrights and let's ho- let's highlight their talents. It's, it's been a big deal. Um, I know uh, there's um, Tracy Potter. Tracy Held Potter, Potter is a playwright, but she's a Bay Area producer, and she, I think, was involved with Musical Cafe getting mm-hmm. getting formed. I know she's had stuff involved with it. Um, she's also done other short play things. It, it's a big thing that's happening right now. So, you know, fads come and go. We're in this fad. What I find wonderful about it is it gives all these, this pool of talent, a quick, you know, make a short commitment, get mm-hmm. in, get out. Um, you get to work with all these different people. You get a chance to explore this new material. Mm-hmm. I don't know what legs it has, the actual material, because they're mostly like 10 minute pieces. I don't know if they're going anywhere. But, well, um, you can grow them if they're good. Well, that's – and that's – I've been talking to playwrights and saying I know that some writers come in with an idea that they're already working on. They may have more than 10 minutes, but they can pull a 10-minute scene mm-hmm. for the theme for a particular month and put that in the mix. Mm-hmm. And I guess if it, as long as it's not something that's been produced, that's fair game. I think that's great. Also, we're in an era where – I mean, I have a 15-year-old, and – What does he do? Does he play games? He plays some games. But really, more than anything, he just sort of screams. He's looking at videos more than anything. (laughs) And so I I looked over his shoulder last week. He was looking at a Spider-Man video. It was a video about the comic book Spider-Man at a time when I remember I was reading. I'm a big comic book nut. And I was reading, um, and there was a period where they – they had created yet another professor, evil villain guy, and he had cloned Peter Parker, and Peter Parker threw the clone away in a smokestack. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. And somehow some other writer picked that up years later and said, okay, but that guy didn't really die. 
he stumbled out kind of bizarre, and he went home because he thought he was Peter Parker. And he went home, and there was Peter Parker inside. And he went, wait a minute, I'm not Peter Parker. And he realized he was the clone, so he went away. And this was what he was – my son was watching this video that talked about how yet another writer somewhere along the line picked this character up, brought him back in, did this huge storyline that mm -hmm. eventually turned six years' worth of stories. And this is – at that time, Spider-Man was in like maybe four monthly comics. Mm -hmm. So it was a big machine, a big franchise. Mm -hmm. All of those stories were suddenly flipped because they said, oh, no, it turns out it wasn't the clone that went away. It was Peter Parker in a daze thinking he was the clone that went away. So six years' worth of stories, all the stuff that's mm -hmm. developed in, the, in that universe. It was that, actually the clone. Yes. What's, yeah. what's, what's interesting about YouTube, because I've seen things like that, like there are writers who are creating um, Star Trek episodes. Mm -hmm. Of course, they don't have the permission of Paramount. Right. They're doing it all on their own, and they're actually getting sued because – I guess Paramount was like, oh, wait a minute. This thing looks way too professional. Mm -hmm. You're taking money, revenue away from us. I think it's silly. I think they sh people should have the right to do whatever they want to do. But I understand intellectual property rights and all that stuff. Well, that's the other big one that's been happening in the last week, this Albee controversy. Edward Albee? About this. Edward Albee, who is dead. We talked about this, yes. We did talk about it. Um, and it continues. It's just sick. Uh, Melissa Hillman, who is local. Someone did an alternate, universe, alternate writing of – they yeah. took, uh, no, I'll be tightly controlled his works. He was infamous right. for that. He, yeah. Right. Um, don't change a word. Uh, the yeah. three tall women have to be over six foot tall. Mm -hmm. um, there was famously a production of – it wanted to be an all-male production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I know everybody wants to do that. I want to do that <laughs> so bad. It's such a great idea. He's brilliant. Yeah. But he said, no, that is not the intent. Yeah. Well, he's dead, but they wanted to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and they wanted the young professor to be a black guy. And the estate said no. Oh, that's and ridiculous. And pulled the rights. Well, what I love, Melissa Hillman, local uh, professor, she's at uh, East Bay, Cal State East Bay, and she writes a blog. And she wrote about it. She said, okay, so let's not argue about certain things I don't even want to discuss. This is racist, period. This is racist. There's no good reason to say you can't do this. So that's racism. Let's take that off the table. Now, the problem is critics are using that to fight against the playwright's right, the author's intent, and to try and diminish that right. And she's like, I don't agree with that at all. You're a racist, and you wrote a piece? That's your piece. It's a racist piece. That's what it is. And, and let's and, accept and, it as and that. And I've always, I mean, it's different. You know, I've worked with companies um, that have worked with um, playwrights who are alive, like Scott Munson, mm -hmm. right. where you can go to Scott and say, well, you know, I don't think this is working or that's working. Can you change that or whatever? And but then you have playwrights who are, like, uh, who are established and are dead, and you treat it as if it were the Bible. But still, I mean, there should be some creative – I mean, that's the part of the creative process where I understand changing the text. That's wrong. Right. You know, I don't believe Well, in that's that. the writer's purview. Right. You can bring it to them and make your case. Right. But if they but don't – But as far as casting, how in the world does that – I don't understand what the problem is. Or, or maybe it, the estate is basically saying, listen – Edward Albee, when he was alive, said he didn't want this happening. So we're just respecting. It doesn't matter if we agree that with is, it or not. That is what the estate's position seems to be. I mean, have yeah. you heard about this at all? No. Oh, I God. have not. I have. Yeah, I have this this has escaped my attention. I thought it was in Seattle. I just talked to somebody who said, no, it's in Portland. I'm like, okay, okay. I don't care where it is. Um, and they are very incensed, and they're very outspoken about it. And it's like, well, ultimately it doesn't matter. You can't legally do the play. Move on. 
right? So, so Craig, I, when you work with Scott, and you've worked with Scott on well a couple of projects, yeah. Do you ever go back and forth with him to say, hey, can you change this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. But but see, when I'm working with Scott, it's typically well every time mm -hmm. I've worked with Scott, it's been uh, the premiere of his show. Mm -hmm. So we've been through you know a few staged readings, mm -hmm. and there's there's been changes, but it's this is the first time it's hit the stage right. so well, as I'm a playwright he's really interested right. in right. whereas albie it's like i mean who's afraid of virginia wolf was written in the 60s right 62 i think yeah the first so production. i mean it's it's set and it's interesting that to me to even say okay you can't even do colorblind casting right. but i can see it i mean definitely if you're putting an african-american actor in that role in right. an iconic <laughs> play set in that era you are changing the play. You are on, yeah, on some level. And yeah. <clears throat> if you're intentional in doing that, well, that's that can be an interesting choice. Yeah. But it still gets back to do you have the right to do it? Mm -hmm. And even if you do change, I mean, it's just one production. I mean, it's not like you're changing the Bible or anything. I mean, mm -hmm. okay, one production does a thing like they're doing um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, all right. female cast, which right. I think is fantastic. Is that still running? It's probably closed down, yeah. but, uh, but but that's fantastic. And who sh who would have a problem if so if you don't if you have a problem with it, then don't show up. And there'll be another one who will do it exactly the way that. Um, well, and probably Mamet. I mean, right. clearly, if Mamet, Mamet had cared, it would have been shut down. Yeah. Right. Well, so, but he didn't of, care. Um, apparently, he has changed the agreement. So when you sign up to do one of his pieces, no talkbacks. Oleana specifically was the play that. No talkbacks. They don't. He don't. And that's funny. I saw it at ACP. There was explicitly a talkback, and it was gorgeous. I'm sitting next to some middle-aged white woman, and they ask a certain question about a certain moment in the play, and we all go, yeah, 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 we remember that moment. Yes. Did you think it was this? And with the same sense of we agree, you go to raise your hand and go, yeah, 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 and the other person is going, no, and you're like, or vice versa. Suddenly she's raising her hand, and I'm going, whoa, no, wait, stop. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it was wonderful. The play is intentionally constructed that way. But that also, once you decide to produce that play, you're making the choices. Like uh, there's a moment, you know, intentionally there's a moment in there where she has a fit. She loses it. She's crying. He feels bad. He feels sorry for her. And he hugs her. I think that's what the script says, hugs her. And it can be as simple as an awkward hand on the shoulder, or it can actually be a, oh, my God, let me hold you and nurture you. Right. Whatever it is, that's what eventually gets him in trouble. He gets charged with sexual harassment. He loses his career. Um, it becomes a national thing. And those are the little moments that we as an audience were being asked about. And, of course, a middle-aged white woman is going to see it differently than a young black man is going to see it. That was juicy. I mean, I didn't hate that woman, and she I don't think she hated me. We were really – we felt like our minds were open to the possibilities by this discussion. But he has now cut all that off. Interesting. Yeah. So he just wants the work to stand on its own. That's exactly his statement. He wants the work to stand on his own. He does not want the audience to sit around and talk about it. And you know in the theater. He can't stop you from going out and having a beer. Right. <clears throat> I mean, not, not to I – I would never criticize Mammoth. Um, I would. Well, sure. On, on that point, yes. <laughs> you go for it. David Mamet, go right to Norman Jean. But you can't have, when it comes to creativity, 
you can have blinders on and say, I, I'm just going to focus on my thing, and I don't want any feedback at all. As a matter of fact, right. when I did right. uh, rewrites for you know my little thing or whatever, mm-hmm. it is You're a bit work ho- in progress. Yeah, work in progress. Well, it sounds like it wasn't that he didn't want feedback. It wasn't that he didn't want critique. He wanted feedback. the work to stand on its own and not have it be people sit there and analyze it. More than that, I think what he didn't want is in this age of social media, he did not want a discussion to begin amongst people about the show. If you want to have like an opinion and I want to have an opinion, I don't think spoilers. No, I think he really – I think he intentionally wrote a provocative piece of theater, and he wants it to be a provocative the- piece of theater. If we start talking about it, then we start agreeing. We start trying to find places of agreement about what we just experienced. That undercuts the, that sense of you think you're right, I think I'm right. And I walk away, and if I hear your opinion, I'm like, what? He's crazy. What is he talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I did a – I directed a staged reading uh, for Susan at the Doug Morrison Theater of Rashida speaking. Oh, okay. And I don't know if you know that play at all, but it, it's a very – you know, racially loaded play, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had a talk back after, you know, in Hayward, yeah, and uh, you know, it got, uh, but it was it was very interesting of yeah. people trying that's a very to conservative audience in Hayward. I mean, or yeah. or or, di- or did the did the reading bring uh, bring in an audience that was a bit, bit more racially diverse? It, it was well, it was both. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did have some African American people in, in the in the audience, and it was it was interesting to hear how the experience of a middle aged white woman watching that play mm-hmm. was fundamentally different from the experience of a, of a young African American woman, mm-hmm. and uh, and, it, and it just sort of points out that the experience of a middle aged white woman going through her day, right. Hmm. Is fundamentally different right. yeah, than the experience exactly right. of a young African American woman going yeah. through her I, day. I find it ex- it's exciting. Um, yeah, Thick Description, which who the folks that opened the Thick House, mm-hmm. um, specialized in that. Thick Description is a term. It's drawn from anthropology. It's a term to describe the way someone, an observer from one culture, describes another culture. You don't have language. You don't have an understand a first person account of or first person understanding of that other culture. So you use the language and imagery of your culture to describe it. Witch doctor mm-hmm. is the best example. A witch doctor is neither a witch or a doctor. But we didn't have another word for it. So our culture created witch doctor. That layering can be delicious. Thick description was intentionally doing that all the time. Mm. The difference between that to me and this Mamet thing is Mamet is very clearly saying, no, leave the theater and <laughs> think about what I wrote. Think about what you experienced. And thick description, I, um, I, I ended up coining the term popcorn, the popcorn response from the audience. You're sitting next to somebody watching the same play, and suddenly a moment happens, and you go, hmm, and the other person looks at you like, what was that about? They didn't see it. Or they chuckle. And you're like, right. why did they chuckle? I didn't see because that. Because people, that are, saying di- people <laughs> are saying different things. It's, it's an exciting, yeah. wonderful experience to have. Yeah. And definitely after an experience like that, if you got a chance to talk about it, that would be, <coughs> that would be wonderful. But Thick Description very intentionally also did not set up very many talkbacks. Mm-hmm. 
for their full production. They did it for readings and stuff, but not the production. It reminds me of my day job. I work at the DA's office, and sometimes they will have mock juries mm -hmm. so that the lawyers can see. Because the lawyers sometimes can have, um, um, well, how should I say, not necessarily now vision, but, you know, you, you're... They're in you, their heads. Well, it, yeah, it's all, it's all in their heads. So they may present evidence or they may present a scenario of what they think happened during, you know, the crime. Right. But, and we'll ask potential jurors or people who pretend, who pretend to be jurors, like a mock right. jury, what did you see, how did I present it, and give me your feedback. And, of course, it's different for each culture. Right. Uh, because one person will see one thing and one person will see another. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say if a woman is walking the street and there's a black man walking right behind her, um, you know, another black person may say, well, it's just two people walking, you know, but another person may say, oh, wait a minute, that guy's stalking her right. or something like right. that. No, it, the different. I love. I'm. I'm actually going to go see Fright of Spring, and my wife's like, "Have you ever seen that live?" And I'm like, "Seriously, wait a minute. You're asking me if I've ever seen a piece of symphonic." That's a, oh, the Stravinsky. Yes, yeah, Stravinsky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have I ever seen a piece of of uh, symphonic music live? Mm, pretty much, no, 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 no. My whole life, no. I've almost seen none, <laughs> but I do know it because I know my art history. So. I'm like, wait a minute, it's been like a century, hasn't it? She's like, yeah, she's very proud of it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I am going to go sit through something that I have very little cultural mm -hmm. experience from. And yet I'm an educated person and mm -hmm. I'm educated in the arts, so I know of it. But I'm not somebody who goes to the symphony every season, so I'm not going to experience mm -hmm. it the way a symphony person does. For new listeners, uh, Mara, uh, Norman's husband, I'm wife. sorry, Norma's wife, sorry. is I a did call her my husband this week. <laughs> <laughs> very, very bad. But uh, she's a musician, and uh, so this is this is her thing. She's very excited. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go with another uh, trombonist who teaches at uh, Berkeley High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be wild. I had a question for you, Craig, um, because I've known you so many years as an actor, and now you're getting into directing. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy directing more? Do you enjoy acting <laughs> more? Um, are you, are you a better director because you were an actor? Because I, act, I love directors who are actors or because you, right. you, you get better direction. Um, you don't get – I remember doing one – I'm looking at one poster, Water Buffalo, where one uh, – there was a director who never acted. I, I think he, his background was more in um, photography or uh, whatever, and he would give directions like, I want you to go here. I'm like, well, why? It just looks good. Just, j you know, just do it. And, of course, it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't help me at all. Yeah. So do you enjoy acting, directing? Do you think you're a better director because you were an actor? I, I think the, well, not the word, are. You'll, you'll be back on the stage soon. Right, yeah, I, I will be back. <laughs> um, I, I think the question of do I, which do I like better is like saying which parent do I like better. <laughs> Do I, uh, do I love my mother more than my father? It depends what you're asking about. Are we talking and about who makes dinner? Or? Right. And, and the answer is I, I, I love them both the same. Yeah. Or I love them just as much. I don't love them both the same. <laughs> they're they're, they're totally different. You love them in different ways. Because I, I don't um, – but I, but I, so I can't say which I like better. Mm -hmm. I'll say I'm loving the experience of directing. Yeah. It, it's, it's just a – it's a delight, and I love – um, directing new works because mm -hmm. that's also just really exciting. Mm -hmm. I love working with the playwright. I've always liked new works. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one question I can answer is a definite yes is uh, yes, I'm a better director because I've acted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm a better director because I've worked with 
phenomenal directors. Oh, of course, that's right. I mean, at UC Santa Cruz, I had like Danny Shea and Michael Edwards, mm-hmm. um, who were just—I mean—they were amazing, mm-hmm. right. and uh, and 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 very different. Yeah. You know, in their approach. Yeah. You know, and, and as far as approach is concerned, because I've had um, directors. One who's more hands-on, okay, like Susan Evans. Like Susan Evans, the first time you come into rehearsal, she'll say, listen, open up your scripts, act one, scene one. This is your line. This is your blocking. You're going to go here, 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 here. Mm -hmm. And you get it all on the front. Now, I work with Off-Broadway West with Richard Harding, and he's like, okay, do whatever you want to do, and I'll tell you if I like it or not, Mm -hmm. or I'll stop you if if whatever. So your technique, I mean, uh, are you more hands-on? I am very – so Susan – and I don't know how she does it, mm-hmm. but but she has the show blocked in her head. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And and she tells the story, um, or at least I, I think she tells the story. She probably she might listen to this later and go, "You're totally wrong. <laughs> You've misunderstood everything we've ever done." But but uh, but but she, the visual picture, yes, is very important for her in telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, and maybe it's because. I mean, my degree, I went to UC Santa Cruz mm-hmm. and, and studied Shakespeare mostly and did Shakespeare Santa Cruz. So for me, the foundation is the text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I loved, like, sitting down at the first rehearsal, and it's a read-through. Right. And you're in the script, and the actors are reading. And if I don't – and if you don't know – and the thing with Shakespeare Santa Cruz, like you talk about, you know, Albie or, or whoever the – like Shakespeare Santa Cruz, at least when I was doing it, mm-hmm. would never change a single word. Yeah. Would not change a single word. Mm-hmm. But you'd be there doing the table work, and you'd hit a word that you did not – and you had no idea what the hell that word meant. Right. Yeah. And and then we'd have like Michael Warren, who is the dramaturg, who'd pull out the Oxford English Dictionary and say, okay, well, this word was first used in 1594, and – Here's the progeny of the word, and here's what it means, and mm-hmm. here, here's what Shakespeare's audience would have thought it meant. And, uh, and so when you said that word, the contemporary audience had no clue yeah. of that word, but they knew what it meant, and they knew what you were saying. And a question we'd get a lot was, did you change the text? Because I understood everything. Hmm. I hate I I hate Shakespeare. My wife dragged me to this play, mm-hmm. and I loved it. It was amazing because I understood it. You must mm. have changed it, right? And it's like, no, no, we didn't. The actors just knew what the hell they were exactly. saying. Exactly, that's exactly right. When and the so actors can own the words, that they know exactly what they're talking about. But yeah. of course, that's part of the yeah. I guess the the table work. But yeah, so that's so that's where I start. Well, so that's that's where I start, and then so so it really so for me, we'll do. We'll be at the table for mm-hmm. the first few rehearsals, right. and then we get it on its feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like in this last show I directed. I mean, in the, the a few days before tech, I'd be sitting there going, "Okay, that blocking doesn't work," right. and I and I reswizzle it. So I was tinkering with blocking right up to the very end. So it's never concrete. I mean, yeah. I mean, Whereas Susan yeah. is more the approach of get get the stage picture right. right. And then work on the acting. Yeah. And I'm more, let's I start with the acting with and the text. I, I did a show yeah. with Peter Lewis years ago and uh, had one of those directors. And it was annoying in the process. But once we got past that staging, ooh, gorgeous. It was just gorgeous stuff that was happening because they did have a sense of what they wanted to see. And once they got that kind of in place, 
the way they thought they wanted to see it, then they could step back and make some adjustments. Yeah. And, and it worked. Once yeah. we got in front of an audience, the audience was Norm, well, Norm, what's your technique? I've never talked to you about your technique as a director. I mean, is it the same way? I mean, uh, My technique started off because I started off with Shakespeare. I started off with the African American Shakespeare Company. And, and it was, but the opposite, not keeping the text, but figuring out we're going to a community that largely does not have the experience with Shakespeare and the knowledge base. You know, they haven't had that exposure. So in a rehearsal process, we're exposing you and trying to get you up to speed all at the same time. So a lot of times it's like, you know, we love what you're doing with certain scenes. So you're talking about the actors had that the exposure. Actors, the actors. Uh, there are people like me who've gone through training programs. I come out of San Francisco State. Um, there are people like me who've had that, but there are also folks, you know, black folks that just wanted to get on stage and were not afraid to take on some Shakespeare. And they brought things to it. They, one of my favorite shows they've done in all the time they've existed is Pygmalion. Oh. They did a gorgeous Pygmalion that was set so Eliza Doolittle becomes a ghetto girl. And the professor is still a black man, but he is a educated black man who is trying to correct this ghetto girl, mm. which, if you think about it, is very much what Pygmalion is. That is yeah. so Shaw, but it's given a very modern sensibility. Well, when you know – when you've got really talented people, mm. then the text can endure. When you don't and you don't have the time to get somebody up to speed, then you start having to cut. So that became my initial lesson. Um, but it has morphed so much so that I, um, I teach a spring program with seventh graders, and we do new works. Uh, well, we do Shakespeare and new works. We do whatever Ashland is doing. The okay. kids, like my kids, have probably just come back from Niagara Comics in the last week or so. Um, so in the spring, we take the different plays they're going to see, and then we do a short version of it. So again, it's about cutting and shaping. Like a Shakespeare to go type thing? It's... You know, 40 minutes. Okay. I'm trying to get it down to 40 minutes. I picked the new play of Hannah and the Dread Gazebo, which is set in Korea. Mostly it's set in South Korea. Okay. And, in, and, and in a fantasy of North Korea, which is wonderful. A coma-induced state of North Korea. Um, yeah, which I totally cut. <laughs> I was like, that is a really complex concept. And in 40 minutes, I need to lose, you know, maybe an hour of this show. Wow, those scenes suck. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... I reduced it. I was able to do a nice reduction, and then I was like, well, I need to tell this story still. So how can I tell this story with the characters that I have that help to make sense of what's going on? So I did a – and I kept calling it a tableau, and it's not a tableau. It's a dumb show. Mm -hmm. I did – I set up to, to a Korean – a traditional Korean instrument of David Bowie's Man Who – Man Who Sold the World? Yeah. Um, it was just gorgeous. It was this gorgeous piece, and I did this dumb show to it. So we got introduced to all the characters, got to see what was going on, um, got a sense of the play. I knew I wanted to do something like that. I had no idea. I'm not a choreographer. I didn't know how to make that happen. The more we rehearsed the actual scenes of the play, the more I was like, ooh, the mother has to bring home a trellis. I'm going to put that in the dumb show that she brings a trellis onto the stage and then we see her walk into her scene and she sets it down because the first thing she says is she's got a big monologue and she says, I just got a trellis. I'm ashamed to say, what's a trellis? A trellis, and it's funny, she's asked at one point, she says, well, it's an inside-outside wall. Oh, okay. It's, um, it's the thing that you Lattice see work. vines. 
Yeah, it's lattice work. Okay. You see vines and, and plants growing on Yes, I've, I've seen it all the time. Okay, I didn't know what yeah. it was called. Yeah. Um, and so I had her bring that in. I had soldiers march across the stage. I had the son come out pretending like he was playing guitar to the song. And I had the main character walking around ignoring cell phone calls or having her cell phone calls being ignored. These are all themes within the play. But I lost so much sleep. Because I knew these were themes, and I knew I could use them, but it wasn't until we actually started staging. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say there were three rehearsals where we played with this. I put the main ideas in place. The second rehearsal, I added some more, and then I lost a couple of more nights sleep and went, ooh, I can also add that in. Great. Let's add that in, too. And even then, when I went to stage it, I added in a couple of more things. So, planned it all out? Not at all. Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, the blocking could do yeah. a lot to tell a story. Well, once you get, and once you know what your actors can do, if an actor is giving you all kinds of colors, suddenly your palette is rich. If an actor is only giving you two colors, you're like, okay, I can work with two colors. Right. Well, it also depends on the actor. Because if you've yeah. got an actor who's really in their head, getting them into their body through yeah. blocking yes. can help break that. Yes. Yeah. And I was going to say, Susan is known for hiring her hired guns. So she knows who, she, what, who she's working with. Mm -hmm. So that helps her, you know, sort of get it in her mind. Right. Um, I mean, of course, she will work with new talent. Yeah. But usually she'll surround the talent with, you know, her old, you know, the old guard. So yeah. I've learned through directing. I've learned through teaching more about directing. And here's an idea I'll throw out to you. Um, somebody told me about teaching that there are different ways that we learn. Different, so different learners. There's that kid. And for me, I've spent a lot of time in classrooms with younger folk, um, there's that kid who's resistant. And they're resistant because they're in front of everybody else and they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to look bad. If you take that same kid aside and give them exactly the same note, they will hear it, make the adjustment, and they will be brilliant. You say it in front of everybody and they dig their heels in. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, can you have to give know who you're working else with. A physical movement. You can yeah. give somebody else an intellectual read. And the one that I never thought of was this one. And nobody can see this because we're just voices, but to reach out and actually touch somebody, mm -hmm. to go over and put your hand on somebody as you talk to them about something, somehow will translate for certain people. And they said there are these modes of learners. I think there's like seven modes of learners that we fall into. You take that information into directing. When you realize that somebody is going to stand up to you and become a diva, if you challenge them in front of the cast, but if you pull them aside and they feel like you're collaborating, Right. You get everything you want. You know what's you yeah. know what's interesting as you were talking about that I'm talking about I'm thinking about what we were talking about a little earlier about people from different cultures and how they view things. Mm -hmm. As actors, I've worked with people from different cultures like with Bindlestick and right. with um, other just you know people from different walks or whatever. Like my culture, I'm into touching. Like if I went back home to DC, mm -hmm. hey baby what you doing and you know you Big get a hug, hug yeah. and and what have you and it's funny how some people, like you mentioned, if you just if an actor touched another actor in, in giving a line, right. that will get a reaction. Sometimes you'll be surprised that you may get a different reaction. Like I may assume, well, you know, I'll touch or I'll interact with this person, I'm, and I'm thinking in my mind, this person will react to me the same way because that's what I'm used to in my culture. And all of a sudden, I get something completely mm -hmm. different. Now, Craig, do you see that when that happens? I know as a director, I'll see two actors having – uh, interaction that should work, but it's not. Oh yeah, no, I, I, yeah, and it was. Uh, I actually had Susan come to a rehearsal in this last year I was doing. There were a couple of actors where I just I wasn't getting 
what I needed out of them. And she gave me some, uh, like some theater games to try mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, thing, things to do to try to sort of break that logjam. And it did what help. Worked? What, what was the logjam or what worked? Um, so there, there was just this one actor who you could just, for, for some reason, they were just holding back. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was that uh, they were fairly – like recent college grad, mm -hmm. so just didn't necessarily have, uh, you know, the experience, experience with farce. Mm -hmm. Oh, farce! This was this was farce, right? Which is really hard. Mm -hmm. Which is it, really it's a hard. Very specific style. Yeah, it's a very specific style, and so uh, and so I was doing a lot of uh, takes, you know, mm -hmm. to the audience. So you know, so yeah. a, lot, a lot of like jokes where you're just out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work on a podcast for like, people like to get. Right. Like the night, I think right. about Abbott and Costello. Right, and, you know, right, like, right, yeah. right, right. But but including the audience into the joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and this actor was having a really hard time pulling it off. And uh, and so what worked there because I was because I had them you know doing do this line out, and it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And Susan's advice was try it where they're just just take it dial it way down mm -hmm. to where it's just like a serious scene mm -hmm. and just have the two actors just talking to each other oh. with nobody else in the theater. Sure. And, and I did that and they found actually the, you know, the connection. They found the rhythms or whatever. Yeah. Well, well they found the connection with each other okay. and, and they kind of discovered what the scene was actually about. Perhaps because the pressure was off. They didn't feel, I don't know, people looking well, at I Well, I think it was also that. because I just, I had in my head how I wanted it to look and how I wanted the comedy to be and how I wanted mm -hmm. the delivery to be. Right. And, uh, and and maybe this is one bad thing about being an actor who, who directs is I am not shy when I'm just like when – when I'm just impatient right. with jumping onto the stage and just giving a line reading. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, say, you know, it's no, right. this – I, I hear Go out there, watch me, <coughs> and then I'll I hear about this in sports. Like Magic Johnson a long time ago was he, of course, was the um, he Lakers, you know, power right. forward and, you know, very famous. And then he became a coach. And he wasn't a great coach because he right. always did, no, 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 do it this way, do it this way, do it in like the way. And, of course, an actor cannot see what's in the director's head. Right. I remember we, Susan, um, the bed bug. That it goes way, <laughs> oh way, 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 God. way back. Now that's, that would be considered farce, right? I mean, that's almost experimental theater. I, it was agit prop, kind of. I don't know what that it was. was that farce? And we were doing, like, machines. Basically, it was written back in 1902 or 03, yeah, the turn of the century. Early. Yeah, it wasn't it, farce. It was weird. It was just weird. It was, that was just yeah. weird. So, in any case, <laughs> she has us because basically in 1902, this person is writing about how the future will be. Mm -hmm. In right. 1950 or 1960, but of course, it's so a dystopian future. dystopian future. That's right. You were the lead actor. I was. Right? The, I was the lead I actor. Got, yeah. I, I just it, uh, I said, "Wow, Craig was in this." So, yeah. in any case, of course, as an actor, <laughs> I have no experience doing this type of theater. Sure. But I say to myself, "Listen, right. I've got to let myself go mm -hmm. and just go with the flow." And it's 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 kind of like, you know, they say. Children really know how uh, – children are very expressive or whatever. And as right. they become adults, we lose right. that sort of just – let's just jump in and do it. Let's just have fun. Let's just right. play. Well, because we become self-conscious. Right. right. And we, don't <laughs> we put fail. on the mask. And kids don't worry about failing. They're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let me right. try. Right. And sometimes actors need to relearn. Yeah. Just play. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, just jump in. Don't worry about what's the motivation, what's this, what's that. Just trust the director. 
like I've had a lot of like Susan loves uh, uh, like games or or you know sure. like um, I forget the type of technique or um, pr- um, a thing that she would do where we would mimic a, a sign or we would do a gesture gesture work uh, uh-huh. and. A lot of actors, you know, there were actors who uh, I think the last production we did was like, oh. I, I'm just annoyed by that kind of thing. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> and sometimes I can be too, especially if I think I know. But as an actor, I have to say, listen, I have no idea what the vision the director has. The right. director's telling me the vision, so I just need to go with it. I can't have any reservations. After all, I'm hired to do this. Mm-hmm. So I just got to go with it. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do it, then I, you know, I'm, I'll tell yeah. the director, listen, I'm doing what you asked me to do, how I can envision it. You're the one who cast me. You obviously saw something in me, right. so I can just give you what I have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just try it. Yeah. 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 Uh, something else that I, I did in this last uh, – it was actually another one of Susan's suggestions mm-hmm. uh, with the farce was uh, you know, I would tell the actors just go full Telenova. Yes. Like, just go completely <laughs> over the top. Like, way too loud, way too funny, way too physical. Yeah. And we made some wonderful yeah. discoveries. Yeah. And then and then I had them say, okay, pretend we're doing the cherry orchard. Uh-huh. Do this play like it's Chekhov. Right. You know, just dead serious and slow and ponderous and, and deep and, and meaningful. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you put those two together, mm-hmm. you know, in the in between those two was this play, and we discovered some wonderful moments. That, that seems to be moments. the approach to Chekhov anymore is more of that. Just keep it moving, let it be broad and wild, and trust that the audience is going to find it. Don't yeah. don't feel like you need to spoon feed them this deep meaning. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw a show not too long ago that was just oh. It was, it was. It was. It was just the, the just pauses you could drive a truck through, mm. and yeah. you know, and, and it was just it was just an older play that people thought just just like sometimes people think you have to because if it's Shakespeare or if right. it's like an older genre, right. it has to be ponderous, right? And uh, I just ugh, it just well, wasn't wasn't to my taste. I and guess. Even but it sounds very Pinter-like. Right? Was it Pinter-like? Because I, yeah, I hear that about Pinter, the, the, these well, massive pauses and stuff. But, but there could still be energy between the pauses. Right, right, right exactly. No, I think yeah. um, we have to recognize that some of these things were written before TV and film. Oh, and that's right. yeah. And that's a different pacing. It's a different style. And if we're going to bring it to a modern audience, we at least need to have a consciousness that our audience doesn't have the same bandwidth that that audience had a century yeah. ago yeah. or – Four centuries ago, I, I just I hate I, I just don't and this is I was talking to my actors about this a lot is I I hate it when the energy drops out of a play right so you know for me you know like with this show there was always if there wasn't an actor on stage there was something happening with music right or sound mm-hmm. or you know th- there's because when an audience like the whole podcast just died, right? <laughs> and so, so, so the Very energy, so good. the energy stopped, and probably right. the people listening went, "Wow, what, what just happened there?" Yeah, let me check my phone. Did and, right. and now yeah. you have to get them back, right? Because you lost right. them, right? Right. right. Oh, yeah. And uh, and and so I think it's so important with uh, you know with a show, even if it is a drama, 
to still keep the uh, keep the attention there and keep the engagement of the audience. Yeah. Uh, that's I I'm going to be teaching in July a um, an intensive for high school students, theater high school students. These folks have to have at least a year of theater experience. Um, and we're going to do playwriting and acting. And I was talking to my assistant about how I want to approach this. And I said, well, I want to do some specific work. And I think now that I'm thinking about this, I actually wrote it down, but I hadn't thought it as clearly. Um, monologues are rarely a monologue. Unless you're on stage by yourself, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. But one person is the one who's speaking. The other person can't get a word in for one reason or another. Right. And if you think of it that way when you're that secondary actor, then you can keep finding. Somebody ask a question in the middle of their monologue. Don't sit there and just wait for them to keep talking. Mm -hmm. Think about how you want to respond. Is it the fact that you can't find a response that gives them the go on? Or do you start to respond and they cut you off? You know, especially well, that's comedy. how you can tell an actor's good. Yeah. So, and I and I'll give a shout out to Adrian Dean, okay. who is uh, just 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 delightful actress who mm -hmm. is in, uh, you know, the 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 Charlie's Aunt, and just the most wonderful expressive face. Mm -hmm. And even when she wasn't talking, you know, if you if your eye went to her, mm -hmm. there was something going on. Right. And uh, and that's so important. And that's yeah. that's like you can tell. You know, the, the, the amateur, the actor doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Is the one that just sort of turns off when it's they not check their out. Line. They check out. They looked at their lines and they went, oh, okay, I know my lines. Oh, this is that part <laughs> where you speak right. for the next two minutes. Right. Yeah. I'm going to check out and yeah. wait for your my cue. Right. Yeah, we were talking about this. Yeah. You know, the actor has a responsibility to feed off of and give to the other actor. Like, like uh, your the uh, death of a salesman, you know, like uh -huh. when you had your thing, like Willie's talking and you, I'm talking right. to Norman. Right. Um, you have a responsibility to give to that other well, actor. To listen. Right. To, to actively, actively listen. listen. Right. To actively yes. listen. To, to have that. We keep pointing to the posters. I think we should tell folks what. Oh. Uh, I was pointing to you. But <laughs> no, earlier, I, I oh, meant earlier. A, a mental note earlier <laughs> that we, we have referred to them a few times. So Reg has put up a nice collection. I assume this is just the beginning of the collection. This can't be everything. There are about four or five more that I'm missing. I, I, when I look at it, I'm like, my God, because I, I think I've just begun. And I'm sure if you had posters, you would have a lot more than I do. I, I have. Yeah, there's got to be more than that. Oh, my gosh. I have, like, I'd say three walls worth of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but just a collection of posters that he's done from different shows. And mm -hmm. it's a gorgeous list. There's a yeah. Can we read through some? Fear and misery of the Third Reich. That's right. <laughs> Water, <laughs> Bertolt's Bracht. Water Buffalo. 110 degrees in the shade. Um, oh, my show, Before the Dream. There yeah, was death, Rich, Rich the Mysterious Death and Life of Richard Wright. That was mm -hmm. fun. Skin of Our Teeth. Yep. Thornton Wilder. Wilder yeah. uh, that's um, the late Mike Ward. Uh, he, held, held, he had a group called the Isis Arts Collective. And we did a series of short plays. Uh, Sean Landry, I'll give a shout-out to her. She's a comedian, and she's doing fantastic stuff. Uh, and so we did uh, Summer Shorts, Cross Wires. I did tech on that. Um, and then I've, there are a couple of posters for uh, Off-Broadway West, Master Harold and the Boys, mm -hmm. Hedda Gobbler, and uh, Lifetimes 3. That was all Off-Broadway West. Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Musical. I'm sorry, Chainsaw Musical. Uh, yeah, that's right. I believe uh, Corey Bytoff. Uh, he uh, wrote the musical for that. That was part of a Fringe Festival. 
mm-hmm. the wonderful San Francisco Fringe. And there's another old EastEnders poster, A Night's Escape in WWJD. WWJD was my very first play I was in that was written by Scott Munson. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yay. And actually, I have floated the idea to Scott, and you need to ask mm-hmm. him about this, but, yeah. but I, I asked him to, like, rewrite WWJD I love it. Yeah. with Trump as the central character. Yeah, uh, because can it, you see that? It was a uh, who was it? Alan. Uh, it was Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, right? So, so the the, oh. the short so the short version of WWJD it yep. was uh, written in the style of a medieval morality play because mm. Scott Munson's like way too smart yeah. for his own good <laughs> and just basically, uh, basically like a medieval theater company that you know like stops in the middle and produces a, a thing. Right, yeah. right, right. He does stuff, like stuff in the style of no theater. And okay. He's he's mm-hmm. just uh, you know he's 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 overeducated. He's way too smart. <laughs> but, uh, but he's also super nice. But it, so he wrote this medieval morality play, and it was like Alan Greenspan was the central character, mm-hmm. and his limo goes into a bad part of town, and he gets pulled out of the car and set on fire the and mugged. Is experiencing and the, the life of the poor. Yeah, uh, and sees Jesus and has this religious conversion. And because he got hooked on drugs, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then he, yeah, he gets hooked on drugs. And, yeah. uh, and then he decides that this big speech he's supposed to make for the joint session of Congress, he's going to rewrite it and he's going to tell the joint session of Congress that we need to feed the poor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so the Pope and the President and everybody is like coming to him saying, you can't do this. Our entire society will collapse right. if you say feed the poor. We can't. Feed the poor does, is not in the calculus. Right. Everything will be destroyed. And so it ends with, uh, and it was Craig Dickerson played Greenspan. Yeah, that's right. And was, oh my God, he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. He had like the big Alan Greenspan glasses. <laughs> and yeah. uh, let me tell two quick stories about WWJD. Oh God, it was amazing. So the first one, there was a black actress, and this is, I mean, as directors, so it, it got a dr- it has to drive you crazy. So poor Craig Dickerson. And there's one part in the scene where I guess he's hooked and he thinks he's a bird. <laughs> and. <laughs> I just now I'm remembering that. Yeah, you remember this? And I forget who the actress's name. She's supposed to pretend, <laughs> emphasis pretend, right. to feed her her little bird. Right. But I don't know if she's into method acting or whatever, but she actually chews up some food and puts it in <laughs> oh his no, mouth. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, I'm like, oh, oh you crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear. So that's, yeah. that's story number one. Story number two. From a Christ, from a from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's wonderful writing. Uh, basically, the monologue that that uh, the the lead actor Craig Dixon does is basically about what would Jesus do, and, he, and he's basically telling the story of. I guess there are these. Um, oh, we had the stations of the cross in the play. Remember, we did the stations <coughs> of the cross. Right, exactly. Oh. Mm-hmm. But there there are missionaries in what is it? Uh, ancient Japan or something like that. And um, he basically Greenspan is telling the story to the Joint Chiefs, basically mm-hmm. saying, what would Jesus do? And he tells a story of this missionary in Japan. And they're saying, listen, you're going to denounce the name of Jesus Christ or we're going to kill you. Right. And the missionary is like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I got to hold on to the name. And I guess the cross becomes animated. Oh, my God. They just made a movie about that, those missionaries. That's right. Oh. And the cross becomes. Really? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, uh, who was it? Um, Francis Liam Neeson's in it, I think. Francis Ford Coppola, I think. Yeah, directing Coppola it. directed oh, it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But in any case, in the play, the cross becomes animated, and I guess the voice of Jesus saying, it's okay, step on me. Mm-hmm. Step on me, spit on me, mm-hmm. crap on me, 
this is what I was designed to do. You mm -hmm. can do this to save yourself. Mm -hmm. I can take it. And I just thought it was just a wonderful piece of writing. It was just mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. And it's hard to describe it on a podcast. You had to have seen it to, yeah. uh, to, to really yeah. get it. And I just reread it and thought, oh, my God, you could just rewrite it and have it be Trump who goes through this religious conversion. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, wonderful stories. And uh, we have Pride Open. That was a series of short stuff. As a matter of fact, I wrote the musical for all, all of that, uh, Pride Open. It was oh, a wonderful wow. piece. Yeah. Nice. Candide. That that uh, that was a wonderful experience. War stories, high, and then yeah, I remember EastEnders got into this hundred year thing. So there's a hundred yeah. years of sex act. Yeah, it yeah. was one of my and first times in a dress on stage. The poster, ah. I, the poster I don't have is one hundred years of queer theater, and uh, mm. we did that too. Were yeah. you were you in that too, or did you direct? Yeah, I was in direct? that. I no, I was I was in that. Mm -hmm. So actually, they redid one of the plays we done in Sex Acts, mm -hmm. which was uh, and to tell sad stories of the deaths Death of, of queens. queens. I remember that. Yeah, and Drew Todd played mm -hmm. the role that I had played. That's a Tennessee the first Williams time we did piece, it. right? Tennessee mm. Williams. Mm -hmm. Tennessee Williams piece, a, a wonderful show. I. I believe Susan told me it had never been produced in his lifetime because mm. he thought right. it was too gay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful show yeah. about this this transvestite interior decorator in the French Quarter mm -hmm. who goes to the docks and brings rough trade home and, and then puts on a dress and tries to get in their pants. Right. And then they, they beat him up and steal his money and – so it's kind of autobiographical because apparently <laughs> Tennessee Williams liked rough trade. So uh, yeah, and it was very, very, very moving. I remember the uh, the the great work that she did. On oh that man, I, that was so. I was a yeah, Candy Delaney. What a wonderful role. I loved playing that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was incredible. But it was hell getting those stockings on, huh? Well, what was amazing was so so I I, I would come on stage mm -hmm. as a man in a suit and a tie. Because this is how Candy would go out to the bars, right. and while this you know longshoreman is basically casing the joint, so you know Candy goes behind this Japanese screen mm -hmm. and has a ninety-second monologue, and yeah. I don't and remember and you what gotta, you got to oh. change in the, yeah. in the middle of that. And, oh, and, and, and you know, and he's talking in this southern accent, and he's talking about art and <laughs> literature and whatever the hell it is he's talking about. I have no idea what it was. And then he emerges from this screen, and behind the screen, while I'm doing this monologue, I'm putting on makeup, and I'm putting on a wig, and I'm taking off my suit, and I'm putting on a dress, and in 90 seconds emerge as a, like a new butterfly from mm -hmm. behind the screen in full drag. And, uh, and you're trying to seduce the, uh, the dude. Right, like, yeah, I'm but it's really amazing. So yeah. basically 90 seconds to do a full costume change and makeup and while do doing a monologue. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. It's fun. Now, EastEnders never, never shied away from being ambitious. Susan Evans is – I what, what I love about Susan Evans is she does work that actors want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why she attracts artists who mm -hmm. want to work with her again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. what theater is all about. I mean, like we, we can yeah. go on and on telling stories, but, you know, yeah. and I'm sure you have stories, Norman. You know, I'm sure you can tell every, a story of every production you've ever done. And that's that's what well, there's probably all about. some we even all want to forget. But even even you know you know show goes right. up and builds up and then it leaves and then everyone does their own other things. But there's still the memories, and you know. With um, and it's funny. This is my year of Deathless Salesman because I did it in January February. Um, somebody who knew me from a show in Sacramento hmm. saw the show, 
And I hated the tourist act when it we did Tartuffe. Yeah. And we did it with no understanding of the style. No real some of the actors knew, but the director was not clear on his most the cast or you know, it was not a sensibility or something that we had been asked. This is Alexander Dumas? No, uh, Tartuffe is Moliere. Oh, yeah. And, and it's a style. There's a style. There's a, you can, if you <laughs> don't recognize it when you read the text, you can recognize there must be something going on here because there are spaces and pauses and rhythms that are not American. They're not English. They, they are different. And somehow we just, you know, it just became oatmeal. It just was never that <laughs> exciting. Mm. But, um, but I watched the veteran actors who were, of course, hungry to be in this show. And I was at the time playing uh, Damis, the young son. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching what they're doing to make these entrances because there were these crazy long entrances and exits. And I saw what they were doing, and I was like, that works. So I started doing it. But I didn't get that from the director. I got it from watching other actors. So I was like, I want my entrances and exits to be as fun as theirs. So I started jumping in on that. And yeah, so that's a show. If somebody, if that were a race from my memory, that would be so okay with me. <laughs> but this actress who played the, uh, the, I think it's the grandmother mm -hmm. in the piece, um, and she's just she's you know an old dowager. She's just cranky and and she was wonderful. She was wonderful to work with. She was a very giving actress. Um, and she, we bumped into each other, and she said, "I know you from." I'm like, I wasn't gray. <laughs> When we did that, so yeah, if you're having trouble remembering, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it was a different time. But yeah, I was in that, and I will admit that I was a fairly green actor, trying to catch up with the big kids. Yeah, well, we all were. Yeah, at, at one point. At one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually one of my my brushes with fame. Mm -hmm. I was in Shakespeare Santa Cruz in 1992 mm -hmm. with uh, this guy who had just gotten his first big break. He'd gotten his one of his first big yeah, national TV commercials. Were you just out of college? Uh, I yeah, it was it was the summer before I yeah the summer after I graduated. Yeah. And uh, with with this actor who uh, he just he was just starting to get cast in national TV commercials. A guy named Brian Cranston. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> he was Walter he was playing himself. he was playing Christopher Sly uh -huh. in mm. Shakespeare Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and he played uh, Torvald in A Doll's House. Wow, and of course. He I, yeah was amazing okay. and so kind and so generous mm -hmm. and uh, and he loved being with students mm -hmm. and and like you know kind of say hey here kid let me let me awesome. show you this side of the other awesome. and, and so there's so much you can learn is that when you get with those people you could put yourself above you could pretend to be superior or you can say this is what I have to work with what can I do with it and then suddenly you start learning from them yeah. what you can do. And that means you bring all of your talent and skill and experience to the experience. But instead of, like, creating some barrier that they're not good enough, you instead dig in with them. And it makes the experience much more satisfying. Yeah. So it's always great to work with somebody who is not only talented but giving. Yeah. I think that's why I like directing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've okay. got but but I think that's I think that's why I like directing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that oh I'm as good as Brian Cranston now, but it, but uh, but I've done it long enough right. that I have something to give. Right. And I love getting a great scene out of an actor. It's just mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's very satisfying to be able to sit there and and go, 
I mean, that that is what's amazing. Where it's like, okay, oh my God, I gave them that that bit and it worked. Mm-hmm. Right. People laughed. So it is a different. Um, tell me, tell me some of your uh, a bad experience that you've had as an actor. Uh, like I don't know, just a crappy director or a crappy just production <laughs> just went straight to hell. I, you know, I mean, th- there have been plays that I've been in where I have just known I was in a bad play. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but, but you know what? Maybe it's just I don't like to remember trauma. But I, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm really hard pressed to think of. You know, I mean, I mean, there have definitely been shows I've been in where I have not encouraged my friends mm-hmm, to yeah. to come see this yeah. play. And some of the worst experience I've had have really just been with companies that are new, and they're sort of figuring. Usually, there's one person that's not on the same page, like either the director, right, or let's say a bad stage manager. I think I told you one time. Mm-hmm. We had to fire a stage manager because he right. just didn't know what the hell he was doing, I and it really disrupted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Have you had to fire someone? Yeah. We, we, we should talk about that next time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't see you. You're too kind of person. I can't see you firing well, somebody. Well, I, I, the producer said to me, do you want to fire this person? And I was like, wow, if I have that option, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I, 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 you know, I've been a lead actor in, and you know, I had a my actress. Uh, she didn't want to do any state. She didn't want to do any speed through. She didn't want to rehearse. You know, mm-hmm. um, she just really didn't. We just didn't blend at all. And I just had to say, well, okay, the hell with it. I just got to roll with it. And just I, I, I had going. a wife in a play who mm-hmm. did not want to do the stage. Um, uh, you know, you do your uh, fight call. Oh, didn't believe in that. Because oh, the, the person the running it would say, yeah. well, let's do this half speed. She's like, I don't want to do that half speed. That's artificial. I don't want to do that. I'm like, I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I guess I've, I mean, I've, I've worked with divas. I mean, I've, I've worked with, you know, actors who can't get off book. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's, oh boy, I can tell that's, about that's that, yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, part of it, maybe if I like was a full-time actor director and Mm -hmm. that was like the day job i'd have more horror stories but usually when i'm doing it i mean i'm not i'm not doing it for the money i'm doing it because it's it's uh yeah because it's it's fun and you Mm -hmm. know so i'm always i don't know i love it how did you bite the bug i mean uh, we we norman i've talked about norman and i've talked about how we were kids and we sort of got into the theater bug and we did some theater in high school and you came out of the army Matter of fact, I think you you did theater while you were in the army, right? I or did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, what right about you? I mean, for me, I uh, I mean, my mother. Well, I mean, I, I was like always putting on a show. Uh, right? I, I remember like recording cassette tapes for my <laughs> grandmother, like like singing songs. Yeah. And, well, and, well, you know, uh, do you have siblings or you? No, know? I was an only child. Okay. I was an only child, and. Uh, and I've got, you know, my mother's, like, super creative, and uh, so, you know, we, we were always the party house, and uh, and I wound up, uh, my first play, I, I think, was, like, fifth grade, hmm. Red Sky at Night. I have no idea how I remember that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, hmm. So that would have been, like, 1980-something, oh. early, early 80s. Is that, is that deep for fifth grade? Play? I don't know Red Sky at Night. It was, like, this... Spy drama. I don't even. Oh, okay. I, oh, all all right. I remember about it is the title, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> but it was uh, yeah. But I wound up doing like theater. This mm-hmm. I went to school and, and was living in England, 
Oh, and uh, and we'd go to the theater a lot. Mm -hmm. right. You know, we'd go into London and go to the theater. And, uh, and then I actually wound up being in a TV show. Is that right? In England. Wow. As the a secret kid? Di yeah, the actor? secret diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters. Wow. They were looking for someone to play uh, Hamish Mancini, this American tourist uh -huh. who Adrian meets while on vacation. And so they went to the American school uh -huh. and asked the drama teacher if they had anybody because I was at the American Community School. And so I went for the audition. And how I got the part was, uh, they, they said, we're, we're looking for someone to play Hamish. And I said, Hamish. They said, no, it's Hamish. And I said, if he's American, it's Hamish. And they were like, oh. And so they cast me. <laughs> <laughs> you were pretty bold for, so, uh, for a 13-year-old. Oh, I was a precocious <laughs> little shit. Um, <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Still, still am, kind of. And, and then I went, and then we moved to uh, L.A. County in uh, my sophomore year of high school and ran into the drama teacher in the hall as I was signing up, and he found that I'd been on TV in England, and he was like, oh, put him in advanced drama. And so I wound up, you know, so I was like the star awesome. at Diamond Bar High School, and, and then off I went to UC Santa Cruz. and. Mm. And Fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. and so it's uh, yeah. I just I just kept going, right? Yeah. So here we are. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's and that is a big part of I think what started this started the podcast was us going. You know, we've been around for a while. There's a lot of experience that we've had, a lot of things that we've seen, and you see people come through, and you see people drop away, but and some people keep well, and doing it's, it. Yeah, and it's. And so for me, it's never been my career. Mm -hmm. It's never been what I do for money. and uh, But it's always been there. Mm -hmm. And I did. I had taken like a five-year break at one point. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and actually how I got back into theater was I met Joe Leonardi. Joe Leonardi. And, uh, and we just started talking. And, and I was like, you know, I said, I, I haven't acted in five years, and I want to get back into it. And like a week later, right. my phone rang. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, somebody just dropped out of this play that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Do you want a part? Right. And it was The Long Goodbye, directed by Susan Evans okay. for 10 in 2002. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was even before uh, I came in. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 2002. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's, always, it's always been there. And, and I, I remember I had a friend who was a uh, – he passed away uh, of cancer, but he uh, was a – Windows architect, and mm -hmm. but he had a master's degree in creative or a PhD in creative writing, mm -hmm. and uh, and I remember asking him, you know, it's like, do you ever regret, you know, like not just being a writer? Right. And he's like, well, I I wanted to have a certain lifestyle, mm -hmm. and tech provided that. Right. And and he said something really interesting. He said, I don't want to do what I love for a living. Mm -hmm. And huh. and I still hmm. sometimes think about that. And and I, I can't, one of my regrets is before he died, I never asked him if he still thought that. Uh -huh. You know, but I, but yeah. I do. I, I think about that sometimes. It's like, wow, you know, would I think of my art, my acting, or directing differently if it was my grind? Right. If I was in Hamilton doing eight shows a week. Yeah, that's a good point. Would I be bitching uh, I, about? I have a friend who's uh, been in a national tour of King and I, so was on Broadway and then done doing a national tour of King and I. And, yeah, I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're doing to keep your energy up, but yay for you because I can't yeah. imagine 
months and months and months of yeah. that. Yeah, would I be nourished by it as much as I am now? You mm-hmm. know, it, that is interesting because we were talking earlier, uh, I think in another podcast about, do we have to go? Okay, so we'll wrap it up. But um, if we regret not hitting it big time, I mean, mm-hmm. right. there's something wonderful about having a day job or having, let's say, you know, parallel lives because that well, can bring something into life, the choosing field. Choosing that life that you want to live yeah. and not feeling hooked mm-hmm. on the hook. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and having the artistic background, definitely I'm, I'm looked at in my day job as kind of different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and it's actually a, a benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know. Well, Craig, thank you so much for uh, coming yeah. on. And yeah. uh, Will? A couple of quick shout-outs. Sure. Theater First is doing Hella. I think they pronounce it Hella. Um, and it's about oh, Henrietta Lacks. Is that her name? Um, black woman who it turns out, you know, it, one of the stains on American medicine mm-hmm. is that this black woman, they went, wow, she's got an interesting genetic thing going on. And they used her for That's all this right. research right, but right. didn't actually worry about taking care of her. So that show is going on Theater First, Berkeley Rep, at Berkeley Rep, Berkeley, at Theater First up at um, Live Oak Theater in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ubuntu has got two one acts that are going here in Oakland, uh, I think this weekend and next weekend. So nice. I'm going to try and get out there next weekend to see that, and I'll say yeah. more about it next time. And I'll do a shout-out for uh, Musical Cafe if you have submissions for a new musical. As a matter of fact, I've submitted a new musical, uh-huh. uh, something I've gotten back uh-huh. into, the, the musical writing. Mm-hmm. Go to musicalcafe.org. Uh, the deadline is June the 30th. So be very quick if you have a new musical just bubbling in your head and you want to submit it. What and I have two shout-outs. Uh, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. I'm on the board of Theater Rhinoceros, oh, awesome. which is the longest-running, continuously producing queer theater in the known universe. Awesome. Yeah, we say that because no one it. can disprove it. Right. Uh, but 40, <laughs> we're in our 40th season, and we are doing a uh, – uh, live on stage version of Priscilla Queen of the Desert, <laughs> which is at nice. the Eureka Theater yeah. through uh, right through on. Pride. Oh, so nice. like we close the like mm-hmm. the first Sunday in July, and it's wonderful. And and I can honestly say, because usually I tell everybody, you better get your ticket now because it's going to sell out. And I'm lying. I'm not. We sold out in the Pride, previews. In Pride, yeah. Yeah, we sold out the previews, we sold out the opening, Mm -hmm. so Priscilla Queen of the Desert, it's really good, and it's kind of fun seeing in this small, intimate Mm -hmm. space at the Eureka Theater. So get tickets now, and then I am directing a Scott Munson original episode of The Twilight Zone. So the Darkroom Theater, Uh I want to say 11 or 12 years ago, started doing this thing every June where they do uh, four weekends. With two episodes per weekend. Uh-huh. So you, you're going to see if you go every weekend in mm-hmm. June, you'll see eight different episodes. Mm-hmm. And people will write typically a spoof yep. of sure. a Twilight Zone I, episode. I've, I've done one of those. Yep. yep. And so. That uh, sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's going to be happening. My episode will be uh, the second weekend yeah. in July. Now, the darkroom is closed. So the darkroom is closed. So this is happening at Piano Fight. Got it. Yay! Which is a wonderful space. I love that space. Oh, my God. I love that space. Yeah, it's great. It's on Taylor and uh, Eddie. Right on. Oh, definitely. So, going to yeah. have to give future shout-outs about Piano Fight. Because yes. Absolutely. Because you, you, sh- you can get there early. Yeah. If you drive, you, you get there at 545 and you park in a yellow zone. Right. And you sit in your car until 6 and parking right. is free. Yes. And then you get – they have a full bar and they have food. And they have food, and You get yeah. dinner and then and you go watch the show. All the, the little show different and spaces. And it's yeah. 
I I have done a show stage. there and then gone upstairs to the bar and watched. It, there's one performer, and I need to find out his name because he's a fabulous singer, amazing singer. Mm. And I'm not sure what you would call what he does because sometimes he's wearing dresses and stuff. Sometimes there's makeup and stuff. There's no question that he is male, but there's something else going on. And his vocal stylings are amazing. And I'm like, I'm sitting here with a beer after a show watching this. My life. It's a wonderful space. Yeah. 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 And I'll give a last shout out to a birthday boy, uh, uh, Andy Ramirez, who acted in Candide as Candide. And he will be, uh, I have no idea how old he is, but happy birthday, Andy. He's still around. He's still around. And that's it for uh, the Yay. Thank you so much. Please hit us up on Facebook and SoundCloud. And, um, and well, we got to find a signature sign-off. we got to find a signature sign-off. Yay! And we are out.